All right, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the August 16th, 2020 edition of the Digital Cathedral. Glad to have you with me this morning. Hope that everything is working well in your world and that uh, you're ready to get into the Word today. We're into the book of Colossians. It's hard to believe that we have woven through Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and now we're into Colossians. And we should end this study up sometime in the middle of September. We're about five weeks, six weeks away maybe from ending in Colossians. And I'm already beginning to formulate and feel some things that I want to begin to teach and minister when we get to the end of Colossians. But we've got a lot of good ground to cover in this book. This is a tremendous book. And I, as I just have been into this first chapter, I mean, I've read the whole book several times in preparation for what I want to say. But man, I see so much in this book. I may come back sometime and just do an entire series on the book of Colossians because it's deep. It's, it's, it, it contains so much good stuff. First couple of chapters are very theological and the last chapters, as kind of as Paul's pattern sometimes, then become very practical. He lays the foundation down theologically and then he comes back and he shows how we can work it out in our day-to-day -day life. Now this first chapter, it's gonna take me three weeks to get through. We started chapter one last week verses 1 to 18, and I only got through a little bit of it, and so um, uh, I'm going to pick it up today on 12 to 18 and point out some more things that I see that are absolutely imperative for us as sons and daughters that are learning how to manifest in this world, this crazy world that we live in. There's some important things for us to understand and get well entrenched within us. Now, if you remember last week, we began the study of Colossians with that 12th verse. The 12th verse of the first chapter of the book of Colossians says this. It says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be a partaker of the inheritance of the saints in light. Well, I guess we should give him thanks because he's the one that qualified us. And we spent some time on that idea of what it means to be qualified, that he has already qualified us. I mean, that's good news. If the gospel went no further than that, then for me to be able to come to the digital cathedral and tell you, don't worry about anything, God's already qualified you. He's qualified you. There's nothing that you have to do to qualify yourself. I mean, this morning, church buildings are filled up around the world with people learning how to qualify themselves. They're learning three steps, four steps, how to, how to have a successful prayer life, how to live a victorious life. They're, they're learning uh, nine ways to please God, uh, some ways to make him smile, how he'll bless your endeavors if you do these things. They're learning all kinds of ways to get themselves qualified when we just read in this 12th verse that he has already qualified us. Now, you're not going to hear that in church. You're not going to hear that he's already qualified you because that takes the punch out of religion who feels like it's their job to get you through flesh effort to qualify yourself. Isn't it amazing how that the evangelical church looks down on the Jehovah's Witness? Jehovah's Witness believe that there will be 144,000 people in heaven and your, your ticket into heaven will be based on the 144,000 that work the hardest. That's why you see Jehovah's Witnesses going door to door, two by two. They're putting in their time. They're trying to work their way into that 144,000 Evangelical church looks down on that when in reality they're teaching the same things. It might not be limited to 144,000, but they're teaching that there are things that are absolutely necessary for you to do in your life to qualify you for the favor and for being part of the family of God. I thank God today. I thank God how much pressure this takes off of us. This just lifts the load off your shoulders to know that he has qualified you and you're not working to be qualified. Well, that brings up the, the question to be qualified for what? And he answers the question. He says, we give thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be a partaker of the inheritance. And that's, that's what we're learning, what our inheritance is. The inheritance is everything that the Father through the Son and the Spirit has designated for us uh, since cre actually before creation. I was going to say creation, but it's actually before creation. His provision, his promises, his presence. Um, the inheritance is the abundant life and everything that goes with it that Jesus said that he came to give us. 
Jesus said, I'm come that you might have life. That life is an inheritance. It's part of what he's qualified you for. Uh, he said he's come that we could have life and have it not just on a bare minimum level, but on an abundant level, that you might have it more abundantly. So this book of Colossians lays out a lot about this Christ who was there in, with the Father in the very beginning when all of the inheritance was laid out, when all of this was put together. It was the Christ, the eternal spirit, who later filled the human man Jesus creating the hypostatic union where Jesus was 100% human, 100% divine. But the eternal spirit that, that entered Jesus or that, that was, how do I want to say it? That the flesh body of Jesus encased. I guess that's probably a, a, an easy way to say it. The, the eternal spirit that the flesh body of Jesus encased was the Christ. And that made him 100% human, 100% divine. It's the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And the Bible says, and this is, this is incredible, it's part of your inheritance, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Now, the fact is, you were spirit before you ever embodied flesh. You can't remember, you can't remember before you were born, but you existed before you were born. You are 100% spirit and you're also 100% human. You are a spirit that is encased, like Jesus was, that is in, that you're a spirit that is encased within a flesh body. Jeremiah saw it. Jeremiah caught it way back in the Old Testament. Jer Jeremiah saw this. Let me read it for you out of Jeremiah chapter one. If you have your Bibles with me today, follow along. We're gonna look at some scripture today that's gonna, uh, that's gonna rack your world, that's gonna mess with your mind a little bit, okay? And that's what I wanna do. Well, I'm stretching you because we're growing, right? You cannot grow unless you're under tension. A body has to be under tension to move. A body is, that is at rest is under no tension. So the Spirit of God puts us under a little bit of tension so that we can grow. So you come over to the digital cathedral on Sunday morning and I apply some tension because the, the target, the goal, is for us to grow together, all right, along this journey that we're in. Now, Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah saw that he was spirit, and, and the Father knew him before he ever became a flesh being. Listen to what it says in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4. Jeremiah says, The word of the Lord came to me and said this, Before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. Boy, that's a good work. That's a good work. He didn't, Jeremiah didn't have to work at sanctifying himself. God sanctified him. And he said, I ordained you to be a prophet to the nations. So Jeremiah saw that before he ever, before, that he was spirit being, and before that spirit being ever, ever took on a flesh body, that God knew him. God knew him because Jeremiah was spirit. Uh, that might not have been his name. That was the name you know, his, his mama and his daddy gave him, and they called him Jerry. So Jerry was a spirit before spirit encased in body ever became Jeremiah. And you were a spirit before you ever were encased within a flesh body, and your name's Billy or Susie or whatever, but you're not, you're not that body. You're 100% you're spirit, and you're 100% man or woman, just as Jesus was. So the first thing that takes place this, after this verse 12, and this is important that you get this qualification thing down deep within, that you don't question it, you don't hem-haw around about it, uh, you don't have doubts about it. I mean, it's, it's blatantly obvious in that 12th verse that you had nothing to do with qualifying yourself. The Father qualified you and he gave you an inheritance. And we're discovering what the inheritance is. First thing he gives you right out of the chute after you understand that you've been fully qualified, he cements it in. And in verse 13, verse 13 follows verse 12. All right, you, you got it so far? He's qualified you. You're fully qualified. That means you're, you're rendered able. Uh, uh, you, you've got the designation. There's nothing more that can be added. Uh, you're like a doctor that has become 
uh, a doctor. You're, you're, you don't have to go to school anymore. You've fulfilled your obligation, everything you need to do to become a lawyer, doctor, engineer, a car mechanic, whatever it is that you do, you're qualified. He's qualified you. And so he sets it in concrete in verse 13 by saying that he has, again, this is his work, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and has conveyed, King James has translated, has translated us into the kingdom of his, of the son of his love or of his dear son, the King James says. So here's, here's what he does. First, he qualifies you. And then he says, I'm, I'm going to make sure that you understand the qualification because I'm going to pull you out of a kingdom that you may think you've been in. And I'm going to deliver you or translate you into another kingdom. So after I qualify you, we're going to move you to another dimension. After you become aware of your qualification, then I'm going to begin to show you uh, the fact that you are no longer in a kingdom that you thought you were in the whole time. So he just flips the switch and gives us the assurance of what kingdom we're in. Never question that. Verse 12 and 13, don't question it. He's qualified you. He's taken you out of the kingdom of darkness and placed you over into the kingdom of his son which means that there's nothing out of the previous kingdom that can touch you. He, he himself neutralizes any power now that we have given to that kingdom which has no power. He's brought us out of a kingdom that no longer can uh, uh, have power over us, not that it ever really had power over us, although we thought it did, and so we submitted to it. And he's delivered you into a kingdom, and he neutralizes or he nukes anything that would try to exercise from that old kingdom the new kingdom that you're in. So this verse 13 is, is part of how we get our mind right, how we get our head screwed on right. Verse 13 is the conversion. It's the repentance. It's the conversion. He has converted you from one kingdom to another. You're, you are in the kingdom of his dear son. There's nothing you can do to qualify you for the kingdom or try to work your way into the kingdom. Uh, as, as, a, as a, a man that is spirit, fully divine, fully human, you're in that kingdom automatically, and he's just letting you know that. So maybe we need to repent from the old kingdom. We need to metanoia. We need to change our mind. This is the renewing of the mind process. When the Bible talks about renewing the mind, it, it's, it's really talking about pulling your mind out of that kingdom that you've been delivered from and beginning to think the thoughts and beginning to think the way that the new kingdom would dictate in how this kingdom operates. So to the degree that you're not conscious of being in a new kingdom, to the degree that you still think that you're in this old kingdom, to that degree, uh, uh, you open yourself, you open your mind to a lot of doubt. You open yourself up to frustration, confusion. Uh, sometimes it's mixed with fear. And religion plays on that. You know, that's when you'd go to church on Sunday, religion would play on the pull of the old kingdom, the pull of that, you know, might have called it an endemic nature or a sin nature, whatever it was, that kept you bound. It would play on that and week after week try to get you to move from that kingdom to another kingdom. But you never could make it. So I'm here this morning giving you good news. I'm telling you that not only has he qualified you, but he has delivered you out of that mess. And he has placed you by his own will, his own action. He's done it freely. He's put you into the kingdom of his son. Paul, I think, wrote 2 Corinthians 4.18 to enforce that. And Paul says this. He said, we don't look at the things that are seen. That's the old kingdom. He said, we look at the things that are not seen, new kingdom. Because the things that are seen, old kingdom, pass away. But the things that are not seen, new kingdom, are eternal. So he's moved us out of this temporary, continually fluctuating kingdom. Uh, it, it, it creates so much insecurity because you can never count on it. It's not stable. And he's saying, look, your flesh man might walk around over around people that are in that kingdom, but that's not really where you're at. So you need to stop looking at the politics Stop looking at the mainstream media. Stop looking at all the, all the reports that are negative. And you need to look at the things that are not seen. You need to set your mind on things above where you are seated with Christ Jesus. You need to renew your, 
the spirit of your mind. You need to think on things that are good, pure, perfect, lovely, of a good report. You need to set your mind on things that have praise and virtue in them. And as you do that, you begin to, to, to move out of the thought patterns of that old kingdom. I mean, just think about all the power that we have given to a kingdom that we aren't even in. Think about all of, all of the, the time that we've laid awake worrying about the things that are going on in a kingdom that we're not even in. We're not in the kingdom of darkness. We're not a citizen there. You don't have to, you don't have to mind the rules of a, of, a, of a government or try to think you're a citizen of a territory that you're no longer part of. It doesn't have any authority over you. So if it has no authority over us, then maybe we should stop giving it attention. Maybe we ought to move our focus. See, that's the changing your mind. That's the goodness of God creates that, that change of mind. It creates repentance, the Bible says. So he's showing us in his first chapter of Galatians, all of, of Colossians, all of the goodness of the Christ, what the Christ has provided for us, that it will change our mind. We'll begin to see differently. See, it's really your thoughts and your imaginations that manifest into the life you live. You and I are living out the life that we have visualized for the most part. The imaginations we've had, the things that we've put into our minds, we're, we are living those out. The Bible says that as a man thinks in his heart, as he thinks in his heart, so is he. So if you wanna change so is he, then you have to change what's in your heart. The heart, the heart gets, if, if this is the center of activity, then we need, to, we need to know how this heart can be changed in its thinking to change our world. This is, this is new kingdom thinking. We don't want to think the way the old kingdom is. New kingdom thinking tells us that the heart gets its thoughts from the head. The head determines the seeds that are planted into the ground of the heart. And they're, they're produced in your heart by either drawing you toward what the picture is drawing you toward it, or bringing what the picture is towards you. So you're either attracted to it or it's attracted to you. The mind of Christ, which governs the kingdom, if it's allowed to operate, will sow seed from the mind of Christ into your spirit. It'll sow seeds of health. You might be sick this morning. You might have gotten a bad report from the doctor. Let me, let me help you with this. Get a picture in your mind that says, I am. You are the I am. I am healthy. And you get that picture in your mind of how it will be when you walk healthy, when you're strong again, when you can go to the gym and, and bench press that weight, or when you can go on that long walk and do, when you can hike up the mountain, whenever it is that you do, when you're totally healthy, get that picture in your mind and let those seeds come down into your, into your spirit. Sow seeds of health. Sow seeds of, of wholeness, of vitality, of goodness. Sow, sow seeds of what you want. Don't sow seeds of what you don't want. Dear Jesus, help us. I have sowed seeds into my heart of things I don't want, things I feared, things I had anxiety about. And you know what? I grew a great big harvest of it. And I should have learned from that not to sow the seed in. Once the mind plants the seed, once you get the, the, the visualization of the healthy body you want, or the healthy mind, emotional stability, whatever it is, and you define that picture down. I talked a lot about that last week, so I'm not gonna go back over that. You can go back and look at last week's teaching. But I wanna make a point this week, and that is once the seeds are sown from the mind, the picture is, is drawn, and the seed is put into the spirit of the heart, then stop it, forget about it. Don't, don't dig your seed back up and try to change it somehow. Make sure before you plant it, it's like you want it. Because once it comes into your spirit, your spirit's going to start working to produce it. Now, your head can't tell your spirit when to produce it or how to produce it or when it should be produced. The spirit will, will do the producing. All right? but, but here's where the picture comes. Here's where the seed comes. Here's where the, the consciousness comes into the subconsciousness. Jesus told us a parable about the seed and the sower. And I want to read that to you real quick because... It has relevance about what we're talking about. Look, look at this in, um, what is it? Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. There's several parables of the kingdom in Matthew chapter 13. It'd probably do you good to go over and look at that chapter a little bit. But let me read to you about this parable. He says, Therefore hear the parable of the sower. 
When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, where do, where do you not understand? In your mind, right? So your mind is going to sow seed now that it does not understand. It's going to sow seeds of confusion or doubt or frustration. When, it's, when he hears the kingdom, anyone hears the word, doesn't understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown, watch, in his heart. He didn't understand it in his head, so he sowed a, 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 a misunderstood seed into his heart, and that opened the door for the, for the enemy to come and steal, and that was the seed by the wayside. Then in verse 20 he says, But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he that hears the word and immediately receives it with joy in his mind, yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while, but when tribulation and persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now the persecutions and, and, and the tribulations, you know what they are? They're works of your mind. One man can face a tribulation or persecution and be devastated. Another man can face a tribulation or persecution and become stronger. Jesus said, he who hears my teachings and does them is like a man that builds his house on a solid foundation and the winds come and the, wind, the winds blow, the rains come, the floods arise and the house is not shaken, right? Because it has strong foundation. Then he says a man that hears the word but doesn't understand it, builds on sand. And when the same winds, the same rains, the same storms come, it destroys the house. Why? Why? Because there was different seed going from the mind into the heart. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. Some, some, can, some get stronger through this tribulation and some are destroyed by it. Just like some of your friends, you know, have come through things and they've come out with a glowing testimony. They're stronger than they've ever been. And other people have gone through just a little piddly drizzle, not even a storm, a drizzle, and are totally destroyed. It, it's what takes place within your mind, right? Verse, verse uh, 22. Now he who receives seed among thorns and who hears the word and the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the world, and it becomes unfruitful. Well, where does all that warfare take place? In your mind? Deceitfulness of riches? Where are you deceived? In your mind? Where, where, does, where does all that trusting from the old kingdom, where does that come in? In your mind? And so what happens is it doesn't produce. It doesn't produce. Verse 23, But he who receives the word on good ground is he who hears the word, understands it. So his mind, when he understands it, is now able to put good seed into the heart, put a good picture into the spirit, put good things from the subconscious, from the consciousness into subconsciousness. And he produces and bears fruit, some a hundredfold, some 60 and some 30. So what, what's the point here? The point is what goes on in your head is gonna have a great bearing on what is produced into your life. And so when we, we look at this verse 12 and this verse 13, they are, they are the foundation of a manifested son or daughter of God. A manifested son or daughter of God knows that he has qualified them and that he has totally plucked them out of one kingdom and placed them into another kingdom, the kingdom of, of God, the kingdom of his son, where, where it's different, different values. Uh, we see things different. We see people different. We see situations different. We know that everything works together for good. We're not over in this kingdom trying to decide what is good, what is evil, what is right, what is wrong. All we do in this kingdom is respond to his voice. We don't judge things. We just respond to his voice and do what he tells us. So let me draw this out for you. Verse 12, he qualifies you. Verse 13, he delivers you. Verse 14, he redeems you. Verse 15, he is the invisible uh, image. He's your pattern. Verse 16, by him, all things are created. Verse 17, he is before all things. And in verse 18, he is the head of the body. Now, where are you in all of this? You're, you're resting in everything that he's qualified you for. In all of those verses, and I'm going to walk you as far as I can through that verse 18 this morning, and we'll, we'll, we'll work on it again a little bit next week. But everything that he's, he's talking about in verses 12 to 18, he has done. He's provided. And so you and I... We rest 
I think that's what Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9, 10, and 11 are talking about, entering into a rest, that we labor. The labor that you have is to enter a rest. It's hard to rest. When you're accustomed to working and qualifying yourself, and somebody comes along like that crazy Keithley guy and tells you, look, he's already qualified you. He's placed you in the kingdom you've been trying to beat the door down to get into. He's already put you into that kingdom. Now, you just need to respond. You need to rest. It's labor. The hardest labor that I've ever done is learning how to rest. Resting doesn't mean I don't do anything. Resting doesn't mean I become lazy or slovenly. Resting means that until he speaks, I don't act. Resting means that I respond to his voice. His sheep hear his voice. When the sheep hear his voice, they move. When the shepherd moves and says, sheep, we're going to another pasture, they go with him. When he takes them down by the brook, they follow him to the brook. So what we're going to see in verses 14 to 18 is this cosmic universal Christ that was the creator of all things and existed before all things. He transcends all things. He's the first cause. He's the creator. He's he is the creative word of John chapter 1. He, he, is, he is what took on the flesh form of Jesus. John chapter 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. Talking about the Christ. And the Word became flesh. It became flesh. It took on flesh and dwelled among us. And we beheld His glory. Right? We beheld it as the, as the, the Son of God. We beheld it. So let, let me just walk you a little bit, if I can, through verses 14 to 18. Let's get a real good view of this because I'm building into you what your inheritance is. I know this is a little bit deep for some of you. Uh, some of you are going to catch it right away. But just let this stuff cook. Put it on a back burner sometimes. Just let it simmer. Let it cook. Let it crock pot for a while. And when the time is right, spirit of truth will open your eyes to so much more beyond anything that I'm presenting to you. I'm just... I'm just breaking the trail, brother. There's a lot of truth to come beyond what I'm, I'm saying to you this morning. All right, so verse 14 says this, in whom we have redemption. Already got it, past tense. In whom we have it, we possess it now. I guess that's present tense. In whom we have it, we have it now. We, we're not trying to get it. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. So it was the, the Christ that became flesh He's the Redeemer. He is, he is the Father's fulfilled plan. He is the fully human Jesus and the fully divine Christ. This fully human Jesus, this fully human Christ came for us. He redeemed us, bought us, purchased us. Uh, let me tell you what that really means. That means he pulled us into his very life. He brought us into his very life. In, in the mind of the Father, you are fully associated in Christ in a divine human union. You're fully associated with Christ in that. We, we have we've sold ourselves so short, guys. We have sold ourselves so short. We have thought, here's what we thought. We thought we were a human trying to become like Jesus, trying to imitate Jesus, trying to take the character qualities of Jesus and integrate those into our life. That full association as the Christ makes us fully divine. So what we're learning today, and this is so such brand new ground, I mean this is just recent in years that has happened, we're learning to express our Christness through this human form. We're learning how to do that. We're learning, this is where grace has taken us. It all began with grace, and it still, it still is all by grace. Everything we're talking about in Colossians 1 is because of grace. He has pulled your works and your efforts entirely out of it. You, you don't merit any of this. He has, he's bestowed it. He's imputed it. He's gifted it. He's freely uh, bestowed it. He's, he's, he's integrated it into your life. All these things we're talking about. So the human body was given to express the Christ within. Isn't that right? There, there, there's a huge discrepancy when we discover like Paul and you wake up to the Christ that was always in you. There's a discrepancy between what you thought you were and what you actually are. And when Paul woke up to that, I mean, it, it, was, it was a totally different life. So let, let me sneak peek you. Let me go down to verse 27 because I feel like, I feel like I'm... I'm, I'm I'm giving some heavy revy here, 
and you're not quite catching on, some of you, that the Christ that is in you is the same Christ that was in Jesus that created the God-man. That you are eternal spirit. That, that the Christ is the one who created you. Now let's come down to verse 27. And, and Paul kind of makes it, see, it was a mystery for generations. And Paul calls it that. He says, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of his mystery among the Gentiles. What is the mystery that church still doesn't see? It's still a mystery among the Gentiles. Remember the Gentiles were those the Jews saw as the outsiders? It would be those that the evangelical church would see as those have, haven't prayed the magic prayer. That's their Gentiles. So what was the mystery that he wanted to get across to these outsiders? The mystery was this, that Christ is in you, always been in you, didn't know he was in you. That was a mystery. It's still a mystery to many today. You tell most people today that that, that guy down at the, at, the, at the bar that gets drunk every, every night and spends all his money on alcohol, or you know, blows all his money on drugs, that Christ is in that man, they'll call you crazy. They'll say, you're, you're falling for some, some nutty teaching. That's not, that's not what Paul said. Paul said the mystery to the Gentiles, the outsiders, was that Christ is in you. And that's what the guy down to the bar, that's what the drug addict needs to realize. He doesn't know the Christ is in him, or if he has a mental assent to it, he's not, he hasn't been helped to flip the switch so that he can live it out. And I'm talking to you today, in this first chapter of Colossians, last week, this week, and next week, how we live this thing out, what it looks like, how we can begin to bear that image. And so this, this mystery, he says, is that the Christ is in you. That was the mystery. The good news to the outsider Gentile was that they were not outsiders, they were insiders. With the, they were the insiders. Ever, if, I, if I were a chaplain at prison, I would be preaching Colossians 1.27 all the time because those poor men and women that are incarcerated, they don't have any idea Christ is in them. They've been told how bad, rotten, no good they are. Uh, they've made bad choices, bad decisions. They're reaping the consequences of what they've done. There's no question about that. And do you know why they've done what they've done? Because they had no idea who they were. They, got their, they, they were still living over in this kingdom. Nobody came along, no pastor, no teacher, ever said, hey, guys, you've been translated, delivered out of that kingdom of darkness over here to the kingdom of God's son. You, you don't live in the pig pen anymore, prodigal. You, you're with that again. You, you're wearing the ring and the robe and the shoes are on your feet and the calf has been slain and we're ready for the party. They don't know that. They're still living over here in a place that is not them. They're empowering a kingdom that has no power and it's to totally taking control of their life because they've allowed it to. Because of the images, the pictures that they've had in their head. You work, you work with many of those men and women, they hardly can look you in the eye. I, 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 in my church, I had many, many that had served some long terms in prison for serious crimes. And when they first got out, man, they, 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 were not, they did not have an image of themselves that was positive. All right, so let's go on here. Let's, I gotta hurry on, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So, so never, never doubt that the Christ became in Jesus the very nature of God in flesh form. And Jesus lived it out. He walked it out. The human Jesus walked out and lived out the Christ that is within. The, the, the fleshed out Christ revealed the Father and the Father's mind's the eye of his mind's view toward you and me. Let, me. let me see if I can kind of rephrase that. This fleshed out Christ that we call Jesus demonstrated for everybody to see what the Father thinks about you. If you wonder what God thinks about you, look at Jesus. That's what the Father thinks about you. The Father sees us as the Christ Jesus. Now let me just dispel a myth here. This is, I'm gonna put, a, I'm gonna put a, a sacred cow on the grill. God does not see you through Christ. He doesn't see you through Christ. I, I was taught and I taught that Jesus was kind of this filter that I was, you know, I was the filter Jesus and I was here and he would see me through this filter because he really, 
He didn't like looking on me because I was a mess. You know, I'd sin in my life. God can't look on sin, I was told. Um, and so he, he's got a filter. Jesus was the filter and he would see me through the filter. That's not the case at all. That's not, that's not true. He is, he's the firstborn. He's the pattern from which all of us are cut. First Adam was not your pattern. Jesus, the Christ, is your pattern. As he is, so are we in this present world. Amen? Can you say amen? As he is, so are we in this present world. So however he is, that's how we is. And not everybody catches this. Peter caught it at one point, although he didn't retain it. He let it, he kind of let it slip. But over in Matthew chapter 16, and I won't take time to read it, but in Matthew chapter 16, verses 16, 17, and 18, Jesus comes to the disciples one day and he says, guys, I've got a question for you. You're around, you're around the crowds, you're around the multitudes, and people see what I do. Who do these people say that I am? Some said, well, you're, they think John the Baptist has been reincarnated. Some think you're Isaiah or Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Some think Moses has come back. So then Jesus brings it from the crowd down to them personally. And this is, forget what the crowd thinks. The question to us this morning is, who do you say that he is? And Peter piped up and he said, and watch what he said, thou art the Christ. He didn't say you are Jesus. He recognized the force that was in Jesus. He recognized the eternal spirit that was in Jesus. He recognized the authentic identity of Jesus. Thou art the Christ, watch the wording, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. He was the only one that got the Christ connection to Jesus. I'm trying hard this morning not to make Christ and Jesus two separate entities because they're not, they're all one. Jesus was not half man, half uh, God. He was fully human, fully divine. Just like you're not half human, half spirit. You're 100% spirit and you're 100% human. And those two have joined together and you're, you're walking it out. You're living it out. Jesus lived it out. Jesus manifested the Christ in flesh. The rest saw Jesus as a man. Peter saw the Christ. And so it's this Christocentric life, Jesus said, that would storm the gates of hell. And boy, if the gates of hell ever needed storming, it's today. Everything that's going on in our world, and I don't, I don't preach politics, don't teach politics, or any of the stuff that's going on, even religiously, spiritually, but there's a lot going on. I'll just say this. I've been amazed at how fast, how fast church got shut down. I've talked to a lot of ministers and we, we would talk about, you know, the, the institutional church, how it ever evolved. Nobody had an idea that, that in a 90-day span, they wouldn't even be meeting in most places. And that what we're doing and what we started a couple of years ago, now a lot of people are doing. So the whole thing's taking out a different look. I don't want to get into all that. What I want to get into is the Christocentric life that we teach, the Christ-centered life. Anything that doesn't have Christ in the center, I'm not interested in. I want a life that is Christ-centered. I want a kingdom that is Christ-centered. I, 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 I want to I deal with people that are Christ-centered. Everything that we do should have a Christ-centeredness to us. That's the man. That's the woman. That's the manifestation of the sons and the daughters of God that will storm the gates of hell. What are the gates of hell? Luke 4, 17 and 18. Those that are poor that need the gospel preached, the brokenhearted, those that are, are in bondage, those that uh, need to know that they've been delivered, those that need a touch of restoration, those are the people behind the gates. They don't know who they are. They haven't heard the gospel. They're behind the gates. We crash the gates. The gates cannot hold us back. And if ever there was a time that we need to put love out there, love never fails. Love is the most powerful force in the universe. The reason there's so much fear in our country, there's so much fear around the world, is because there has not been a release. Listen to, listen to me this morning. The reason there's so many people fearful today around the world, not just in America, around the world, is because the perfect love that casts out fear has not been released yet by the sons and the daughters of God. This is our time. 
I'm reading a lot of junk about how this is the end times and you know Jesus come back any minute and the rapture. They're always trying to fold circumstances into prophecy. I don't want to get into that. All I'm saying to you is I don't see it that way. I see this as the greatest opportunity that's been in the history of mankind for the kingdom of God to manifest through us. Through us who get it, who understand exactly what's going on. The mind of Christ is what you possess. The mind of Christ, listen, the mind of Christ is a mind that thinks in sync with the Father. It's, it's synchronized with the thoughts of God. It's in harmony. It's in, it's in vibrational frequency, though, so that when the Father thinks something, it resonates in your mind. And when it resonates in your mind, it drops a picture into your spirit. And when it drops that seed into your spirit, what has been dropped in there that has come from the Father to the mind of Christ into the spirit that is Christ, that has always been in you, it'll either lead you to what the Father wants or it will bring what the Father wants to you. So look at this. He, he, he started it all. Verse 16 tells us, that he's the point of origination. For by him, all things were created that are in heaven and are on earth. This gets so powerful. I could spend two hours on this 16th verse. All things were created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things, oh, there's some deep stuff there. All things were created through him and for him. That's why he's got to get you out of that kingdom where you look at things and say, that's wrong, that's evil, that shouldn't be. And you have to begin to let the Father work things out, knowing that all things work together for good to those that are called according to his purpose. That's you. So we, we, we don't assign right and wrong, good or evil. We respond to the voice of the Father. That's, that's what the mind of Christ does. That's how the mind of Christ functions. So, But because he has preeminence he created it gives him right to retain what he's created and love never fails what love creates love holds on to love cannot let go of what it created if if love let go what it created even one time then love failed love never fails prophecies fail tongues fail all those things fail they come up short love never fails so all the, all the things that he created, thrones, principalities, powers, dominions, or whatever it is, all things work together for the good of the one who created everything out of the motivation of love. Now, you're going to look at stuff and question, how could love have done that? How could love allow that? See, and that's where you're trying to get back into the old kingdom to try to think it out that way. He is good, and he cannot allow what he does not to work out for good in the end. So verse 17, this is a real assurance verse, and I want to get through this. Verse 17, and he is before all things, listen, and in him all things consist. In him all things consist. You can't be outside of him. I don't care what you do, what you try. You cannot be outside of him. He is the starting point. He's the reference point for all. I haven't read, read in several weeks, but that verse from Romans chapter 11, verse 36, that says everything comes from God, goes through God, and returns to Him. He created it all. Everything He cre created returns back to Him. You, this verse 17 is so powerful. Can, if you don't get anything else out of the teaching today, get this verse 17. He's before all things. And so he created all things. Therefore, in him, everything consists. Everything consists in him. You cannot be outside of him. And whenever, whenever the illusion of being outside of him arises in your mind, you know what it does? It opens the door for thoughts. Whenever you think you're outside of him, or you're, maybe, maybe you're in him, but you do something crazy, and so now you think you're outside of him. Whenever you open the door for anything that would, would, would smack of separation, it leads to actions. It leads to actions, things that you will do that 
create a disconnect on our end from our life source. He never disconnects from us. But we have a sense of disconnection when we feel outside of him. So Paul comes along and he tries to give us assurance that it's impossible to be outside of him. You never heard any of this taught in church. I know this is brand new to some of you at the Digital Cathedral. Some of you have come in just with a simple revelation of grace. And we're putting some pretty heavy stuff on you here from Colossians chapter 1. And I understand that. And I may lose some people from the cathedral because you're still viewing it from old kingdom eyes. But there'll be a time that you come back and you catch it and you get it and you join back up again. But others of you, you're ready to hear this. You're ready to hear this kind of stuff. Whenever we lose sight of seeing ourselves as God sees us, then that's when that sense of separation comes in. If you really grasp that 17th verse, then you'll see how what Paul told those idol worshipers over in, in Acts chapter 17, that it's in him we live and move and have our being. He told the idol worshipers that. He told the idol worshipers that God is the father of us all. He told those idol worshippers. Those, those people did not pray a magic prayer. They didn't get water baptized. They didn't sign a card. They didn't go through discipleship class. All right, so let's go to verse 18 real quick. I've got just a couple of minutes left. Verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. So he's the head of the body, the firstborn from the dead. So if there was a firstborn from the dead, then there had to be a second, a third, a fourth. Your number's in there someplace. We all had to be born from the dead. We were born from death to life at the resurrection. Peter says that. First, what is it, 2 Peter 1, 3 or 1 Peter 1, 3, right in, right in there, Peter says it, Pete got it. He said that we are born or begotten again through the resurrection. The word begotten is the word anonageo. It means to be born again, literally. So when were you born again? Were you born again when you prayed the prayer, when you had enough faith, when you believed, when you put your trust in Christ? No, you were born again through the resurrection. That's when he translated you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his son. When you came out of the tomb with Jesus. It was a co-resurrection. It was a co-crucifixion, co-resurrection, co-ascension. How else could you be seated today with Christ in the heavenlies except you co-ascended with him? And how could you co-ascend with him if you didn't co-resurrect with him? And how could you co-resurrect with him if you were not co-crucified with him? Everything that he did, he did as us. He did it for us, but he did it as us. That's the proof that you resurrected in him. The head can't resurrect without the body. He is the head of the body, the firstborn from the dead. If the head resurrected, then the body had to resurrect. Come on. Come on, stay with me. Think with me this morning. Like Jesus and the Father. G uh, Paul said in, in Philippians 2.6, he said that Jesus didn't count it robbery to be equal with God. But then over in John chapter 14, verse 28, and you can read this for yourself, Jesus, the one who did not count it robbery to be equal with God, said the Father is greater than I. So there's a divine order in this. There's a divine order. There's still a divine order. There's an order that you come in. So here's, here's my bottom line message this morning. I've got just about two minutes left, and I need to wrap this baby up. Until you can put the Christ and Jesus together in one I've, I've talked about the Christ. I've talked about, you know, the divinity of the Christ, the, the humanness of the Jesus coming together in one union. Until you can put them together in one and see it, you won't be able to put the Christ and you together as one. You'll never see you as Billy Bob Christ or Mary Sue Christ. 100% human, 100% divine. Jesus pulled you into his life, made you a partaker of the divine nature as he is, so are you in this world. Don't think less of you than you should think. This, this has massive, massive positive, positive implications and impact on the life that we live on this planet. We're, we're learning that we have, we've, we've tried to live on this planet with old kingdom laws trying to survive in a new kingdom, and it hasn't worked well. We keep getting sucked back. We haven't near hit where we should be. So here's the choice. You got two choices. Choice number one is this. You can work from being a human 
to trying to imitate or become like Jesus. Or, or, or you can in fact recognize the union that you have with the Christ and learn how to rightly exercise yourself as the Christ man. Or, let me say it this way, you can live a life of trying to get to victory, or you can live a life that comes from victory. It's your choice, but it doesn't affect what he's done in verse 17 and 18, that he's already qualified you and placed you in the right kingdom. You're fully human, you're fully divine. How you define Jesus, how you define Jesus is the only right definition that you can have of yourself. And let me say this about the Father again. This is my closing statement, all right? This, I'm, this is my closing. I'll just say it again. Jesus is the Father's mind fully, entirely, 100%. It's his mind made up about you. He doesn't see you any lesser than the Christ. He sees you as a joint heir. He sees you as one who has an inheritance, full right to it, and now we're discovering it. This first chapter of Colossians is dynamite. I wanna pick it up with part three next Sunday morning on Colossians chapter one, and we'll pick it up, we'll go from verses, what is it next week? Verses uh, 19 through 29 of Colossians chapter one. Hey, it's been good to be with you on the Digital Cathedral. We'll see you Wednesday night. Let's talk about this a little bit more. I've got some other angles I wanna bring it to you from. Because I want all this to really settle down into your spirit. Because boy, we're on a mission. We're on a trip. And it's a good trip. We're taking a, we're taking a trip and never leaving the kingdom. <laughs> and it's a good one. God bless you. Have a wonderful day, wonderful week. Thank you for your prayers and support. Especially to those that you monthly contribute to help us in the worldwide presence that we have at the Digital Cathedral. You're helping us to stretch around the world. God bless you. See you Wednesday night and again next Sunday morning, 10 a.m. Central Time, right here at the Cathedral. God bless.